So all those other incriminating things we said are also recorded yes. somewhere. Is what yes. Saying. Okay. We're gonna have to have a super pulp science archive. Oh no. Of, <laughs> right. Of black tapes. <laughs> Attention, citizens, it's time for Super Pulp Science. Okay, this is Super Pulp Science, where we talk about how genre is made, and today we're going to talk about where you can take it. We are here with Dan Vatterbanker, who is fills two roles on our podcast. He is... Our technical director That's here. That's not the right term. That's not the term. What Pro- is our term? Producer. I'm a producer. He's a producer. <laughs> he is the producer of our podcast. He taught us everything there is to know about podcasts. And he is also also the showrunner of FanQuest. That's not a very term either, but that's okay. What is the term you want to use? <laughs> I don't want to use the term. I, we, we all kind of collectively say founder in our as founder. Far as our, our Let's start that again. No, 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 We're no, no, here no. with what? Dan Vatabonker. Why'd you even come today, Greg? This is know. terrible. Justin, you're going to start. <laughs> We're uh, with Dan and Greg and me, Justin. I was going to say, um, <laughs> I, uh, you know, it's, the titles aren't really what matters. I know some people do focus on that more, but I really try, we really try to run the event as a committee and every decision we take to each other and get feedback on. Now, I was the person who kind of set it all in motion. So I can, I guess, take some credit for that, being the one that brought all these people together and said, hey, let's make something, let's have an event. And uh, so I, I was the first person on that list, I guess. You were the grit that made the oyster? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay, that's I good. I don't get that reference, but that's okay. What, it's a little grit inside little, of an oyster that really makes like, a pearl. I don't really like oysters. No? What? Um, <laughs> but you're such a pearl. <laughs> you're you. such a pearl. Um, <laughs> okay, what we're going to talk about here today on Super Pulp Science is shows. We use the term show a lot in our show, but what we mean by show is a comic con or event. And we also do craft fairs and book signings and comic cons yeah, and, and book events and horror conventions, gaming conventions. Yes. Like so, it's kind of that's right. But we're going to talk about comic conventions okay. and where they came from, why they're important to us, and why we think they're important to both fandom in general and the industry specifically. Let's turn the clock back to 10, 15 years ago, what were convention? What was a Comic-Con back then? Greg, you're, you're elderly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> tell, us, tell us about the good old days. Well, Shani. <laughs> um, okay, well, what's interesting to me about that question is that in Canada and the US, the answer would be very different. Right. Um, in Canada, 15 years ago, if there was a comic show at all, it was in the basement of a hotel. Uh, or in a single event space in a single hotel room. Um, and you might have maybe a couple dozen vendors selling comic books. No artists, probably. You would not. You would very rarely have people who just make art. You would have a few comic book artists, certainly, and uh, maybe the odd comic book writer. And if they did come, they were like a big deal guest. You had a few tables pushed together. You had a few hundred people milling around. And it was people celebrating their love of comic books as a medium, specifically. And but there were also still Star Trek and, and that kind of stuff conventions yeah, going on. Yeah. Like there, there were, were still genre specific or or even prop like intellectual property specific. Absolutely true. Do you think though 
Would you would you characterize them as also being small like that, though? Well, I, I think the Trek conventions were much, much bigger. In, in Canada? Well, if there were any, it would be in Toronto or Vancouver in a right. bigger city, not in, certainly not here in Winnipeg. Right. And um, it, here, it, like, it has to be combined with something else for people to, to kind of go to it. Um, so where, so when we fast forward to the future, to the present, I guess, in this particular instance... <laughs> The future is yet unknown. Don't you write like stories about time travel? I do. I'm (laughs) caught because we can travel wherever we want in those stories. Um, The present day shows have can have up to 150,000 people. The biggest shows do. San Diego and New York are the two biggest, right? They seem to be going neck and neck. And in North America, when you get into overseas, like the Comiquette coming up in a couple weeks has like a million. Yeah, it's a million people attend that. Whoa, where's that? Uh, Comic Cat in Tokyo. Oh wow, yeah. Which our friend okay. Andrea Tam is going to have a table there with yeah. her brand new. She told new my brother to go. My brother lives comic. in uh, Japan. Yeah. He lives in Nagano, but he could he could take a train to Tokyo. Yeah. So here we have this thing that's happened, dear listeners, where it used to be that if you liked stuff, you might gather in small groups and talk about it. And now, if you like stuff, with the advent of I think some things have changed: social media, the internet, a movies netflix movies all of these things that have given people um, a flag to stand under people bring those flags now in droves of thousands to these shared events to celebrate to capitalize and to commiserate with each other over what makes good storytelling what was your first show dan so i i went to um the it must have been 2007 so 10 years ago now uh, it was called the Manitoba Comic Con at the time, and it was at the Victoria Inn. Um, and it was I, one of the last years that it was there. Then a couple of years later, it moved. I think it was 2009. 2008, it was okay. because that was my very first show I attended, or like I had a table at that one, and it was in the convention center and for 2008. the first time. 2008. 2008. So, so that was the last year it was at the Victoria Inn because it was there for a while. And you're right, it did start out as a, in, a, in a basement of a hotel and then kind of grew and grew. And at the time, it was... They've got a pretty big space in in that hotel, so it's it's bigger than most. And I've, I've looked into this as from a venue booking uh, point of view. And so yeah, I went there, and I I'd, I'd never been to a comic con. I'd heard about it through a friend. I saw a poster. This I'm like, oh, this is all stuff I love. I think I'll really enjoy this. And I I did absolutely love it. I went there and just kind of walked around, talked to everybody. I knew a surprising amount of people there. Um, that I didn't know were going to be there. I just ran into them on the floor. So these were all people that I'd known and uh, I knew loved these things as well. And I met uh, David Prowse, which was a pretty exciting thing for me um, at the time. And, and uh, he was, you know, he's Darth Vader. So that was also um, a nice moment. So it was a very nice event. I really, really enjoyed it. And it kind of got me, it just opened my eyes as far as what is possible with these shows. And it puts you right, like within six feet of the makers, Right? That's the, right. Yeah, the that's idea right. machines are there. Yeah, their little skulls just on the other side. And there were now, from what I remember, the, there were not as many. Uh, now I wasn't really aware of the artist side of your side of things at the time. Um, I remember seeing a lot of vendors, a lot of merchandise there, comic books, of course. Um, the, my uncle Nick was there, uh, Nicholas Burns, who's a comic book creator, and and he'd been doing that for a while apparently. And so I just talked to him for a while, and then I just kind of walked around the floor. I did not go into any programming. I didn't know if there was programming. I didn't know anything about that stuff. 
And uh, so that was something I discovered later on and, and has become a really important part of the convention to me is the programming side of things. Right. So, yeah, that was it. That was my first one. As an attendee. Were, yep. were you at that same one, Greg? Were you there? No, my first, I think my first show. Were you in San Diego in 2007? Yeah, like the show, okay, like shows that I attended versus shows that I exhibited at. <laughs> um, I exhibited, I think my first exhibitor show technically would be KeyCon of 2006 or seven. And then 2008 is when I really endeavored to hit show. So your first real show and my first real show are the same show. You as had vendors. an as annoyingly vendors. large setup compared to me at your first show. <laughs> well, I had you been, seem like the biggest deal on the floor. I'd been hanging out with these <laughs> like TV people and they were, their, their attitude had been, you know, if you want people to pay attention, you should have a big presence. You know, because no one's ever heard of a show when you're trying to promote it. And at that time, I was working on the ill-fated but um, very fun to work on um, web serial The Dark, which never took the never took off like it should. But the core crew of people that worked on it, actually, I still collaborate with today. So um, no love lost there. But we had been promoting this show. And so I thought that's just what you did. And since we were having a comic show coming up, I assumed everyone else would do that too. And I thought that I would be like the little guy, you know, I was like, oh, well, my banner only goes up to 10 feet. And oh my, you know, I only have, you know, this little book display and oh, I only have these t-shirts and only have, and then I got there and I was like, oh my gosh, why is everyone staring at me? So what, what did everybody else have? Um, a well, flat. let me tell you. Yeah. <laughs> what did you have, Justin? <laughs> everybody else just put, uh, if they had a portfolio... They plopped it on the table, and then the really, really fancy artists had stands with their book or their print standing upright on their table. The the get like the comic book guests, like the really, really big deals, had retractable banners behind them, and that was the extent of what people did in 2008. And those were guys who were people who were brought in by the con to like artists who were well known for their work yeah. on, on bigger titles yep. and who traveled from con to con. Mm-hmm. Um, were there mostly local people at the first uh, event for you or was it a mix? Um, I th- it was it was a mix. It was a pretty big artist alley in 2008. It as was I because recall. it was also the it was the convention center. Yeah. So there was a lot of room. Yeah. They brought in a lot of people and so, they had. I think doubled down a little bit as far as the investment they were making in the show to bring in guests. Okay. Yeah. So and there I was in my giant ziggurat. I'd also asked for- How many for, tables did you have? I'd asked for three tables, which I also didn't know wasn't the done thing. <laughs> right? Like, also, so like max two tables is what you asked usually for? Usually you just have one. Usually okay. you just book one table, but I didn't know I that. I shared a table <laughs> with another artist. Right? Which that turned out to be the done thing, but- um, Compared to the marketing expense of trying to get a television show made, right? Booking three tables at a show and making some stand-up banners didn't, to me, seem like a huge outlay of expenses, right? right. right? If you want people to notice what you're doing. Um, little did I know when I arrived that that would inadvertently make it seem like I knew what I was doing. <laughs> right? So that's did, the first thing. you I did know what you were doing. Just you were coming at it from a different um, angle, and that helped you. I think that having that experience with the television show helped you 
market yourself as an artist better than because a lot of people I'm sure coming to these cons for the first time don't they know how to create great work they know how to create great art and great stories they don't know how to market themselves and that's something I find as an instructor in uh, creative communications at River College a lot of our students struggle with the idea of marketing themselves because right. they're you know they they spend all their time creating something and they just want to be like okay now I'm just going to put it out there and see how people like it instead right. of you know, getting people to pay attention to them. And then now more than ever, especially like give, like in the difference of 10 years, you absolutely have to do that now at a con in online world, anywhere you have to like say, Hey, look at me and kind of, and, and draw people yeah, to you. Blown away. Yeah. Or you'll just be lost in the, in the, uh, mess. yeah. Cause now a 10 foot banner at a show is like small fries. I was, like, I if was, you're not at 15 feet and you know, if you're not 15 feet by 15 feet with a huge backdrop, People won't even notice you. One of the things I liked most about FanQuest last year, or this, I should say this year was in May, uh, when we did it, is that we had a lot of, our, our prices were pretty low for tables, and uh, we just kind of priced it out so that the table tables would cover the cost of the venue. We didn't want to really, we weren't really in it to make a lot of money, which, right. you know. Um, and so we did have quite a few people who came on who said it was their first time tabling at a convention. Yeah, wonderful. And I thought that was excellent. Like, Great. Yeah. And then so I, I put out a survey. I said, you, but we wanted all the spaces to look professional. We wanted to, them to look more like you guys because uh, I'd seen your setups at other conventions. And I was surprised at how many of them had already taken that into consideration. Yeah. Um, based on, I guess, going to conventions, seeing what you guys had done and other artists similar to you had done. So people are now coming into this world having an idea of what you need to do to, to stand out, which is good. Super pumped. I want to talk about the evolution or the evolution of displays for Ooh, a second here. Justin was there when it first happened, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I, I, well, I, I didn't, watched. Didn't it you har- help like usher that in with your? You got a nice, huge display. But all all my ideas were kind of riffing off other people. I I don't think I really did anything that wasn't kind of already being done before. You just had um, the best surfboard. So as the wave yeah. was cresting, <laughs> right, you you just surfed right to the top. So when I started out, I had uh, I had just display. I had my portfolio and I had um, my displays kind of standing my prints upright. Eventually, I I got banner stand money. So I made a banner stand that sat behind me. You know, went six feet high and said. Uh, chase artwork at that point. It wasn't chasing artwork. It was chase artwork. Whoa. <laughs> and um, then from there, I started seeing what everybody was doing. What the done thing was, was, uh, was you went to a hardware store and you got oh, PVC no. pipe. Is that PVC yeah, pipe? PVC. You would get cut PVC pipes, dozens of them, and all these little connectors, and you would construct this arch over your table, and then you would paste your prints on that and you'd leave a little window open so you could peek out from your artwork <laughs> Hello. and sell your artwork. Yeah, and Would that was yeah. that was kind of the thing that was starting to take over. Everybody was getting these, these do PC, it. it was DIY. PVC. It was DIY yeah. time at the comic And show. now there are like whole kits and everything you guys can just probably buy online. You can, but the the truth is the secret weapon of the comic show, dear listeners, is the photography stand. Photography stand. Photography stand is lightweight. It's telescoping. Right. You can use it for all kinds of purposes. Um, it's stable because it's a tripod. If you're feeling like it's not very stable, it's very easy to duct tape it to the show floor, which is usually concrete, so that it's super stable. And now you have this mast to tie your sails to, if you will. Very cool. Interesting. Um, not everyone has figured that out, so hopefully more people will hear this and do that. Now, I don't say because, like, 
their setup is bad. But because for sheer portability, the photography stand can't be beat. These PVC monstrosities that people build, it's super fun to watch them put it together. Usually at least one one will fall over per show. Yeah. During setup, there will be at least one mass collapse. Yeah. They like, still do that? Do people still do this? Some people yeah, do, yeah. Some okay. people still do. They don't want to change what worked for them, I guess. Um, so they lovingly construct a new PVC tower each time and then it falls over and the they other, s- they cry sometimes. the other part of this is you have to stitch together a quilt of your artwork right you have this now eight foot uh like bare bones behind you and now you have to start taping all your artwork to it and a lot of people use painter's tape like green or blue tape because the idea there is it will not wreck the print you can use those prints again and again right. and again the problem there is that that tape's not overly strong so Often during the show, you'll see displays start to fall apart. The prints start to like come off at the top or completely collapse under their own weight. And why this is a a bigger problem than you think it is, is because um, during setup, everyone has lots of room to move around. You can move around in the front of the aisle, the back of the aisle. You can push your table around. You can do whatever. But once the show has started, now you're in your six by eight footprint and you can't move. Yeah. So there's no fixing something that's fallen <laughs> that, down. That, that's something that came up. We did a bit, a bit of feedback um, after our, our first convention and, and got some feedback from our, the artists and vendors. And, and a lot of them said, you know, I couldn't. I mean, I, I think this is pretty common. It shows you can't get out of your space once you're in there. Right. You, know, so you usually yeah. have to walk down. like it's a. And I set, I set it up based on what I'd seen yeah. at other conventions. And it's like kind of like this island, especially the ones in the middle. Yeah. It's this island of tables that you have it kind of set up a certain way. And then you have to walk. If you're stuck in the middle, you have to walk all the way down to the end of the row to get out. Yeah, and that yeah. was a, so we'll correct that going forward. So we learn from our mistakes, obviously. But I wasn't. I was just. I was figuring out that uh, other people. Yeah, and I always push my table back. You do it. Yeah, I see you do that. Yeah, yeah. So that the background, like what was normally, you know, it would sort of be backstage where people put their chairs and their snacks and, and their, their garbage and stuff in their garbage and whatever. <laughs> I just push my table into that backstage area. And then sit out front to do my sketching. And it's, and it's a little more my... inviting, I think. It's like you're saying, hey, come on in. It's like, this is my space. Come on in. That's yeah, what I get from your, you know, your vibe. It definitely is that for me because I like people, so I want them. And, you know, um, people are welcome to linger is sort of how I want them to feel. Uh, in our previous episode, we talked a little bit about booth barnacles. <laughs> um, you can see that episode for that. Um, I actually maybe am the worst advocate for booth barnacles because I like it if people want to stay for a while. Um, but... It's a double-edged sword for me. The reason I did it to begin with was I was so trapped behind the table and I felt so constricted and so at the mercy of everybody else's um, good graces if I needed to move back and forth. Everybody was like, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. That I just wanted to remove myself from that scenario where I might be in someone else's way or have to get in their way going back and forth. So if I was sitting in the front, I could be with the people. When was the first show you did that? When did you start trying that out um it was a local show the first time it happened to me no i'm lying the first time i ever did that was in calgary at when words collide okay um and it was because they didn't have a spot for me oh and it wasn't on purpose it wasn't like a malicious move to like try and bump them out it was that they didn't think that myself as a graphic novelist would want to do a regular signing i think it was just an oversight okay i just figured like the way the authors sign They'll do that, but you're not really an author, so we won't put a spot for you. Um, but when I showed up and said, you know, 
Hi, I write too. I just also, <laughs> there I, are words in these I, books. I, I just I also have pictures. They were like, oh my gosh, like it was. They was like, you know, I don't know what we're gonna do because we have this these spots sort of assigned. And I was like, oh, I'll just sit right here. You know, I'll do it right here. And um, I guess I was so confident about that statement no matter whether it was a good idea or a bad idea they said okay and they just brought me a chair and now i was on the wrong side of the table okay um but i was drawing in the books i was sketching in them because i didn't have a lineup no one knew who i was you know i was like oh well as long as i'm here oh i don't have any paper i'll just draw in the front of this book uh someone asked me uh oh does that come with every does that come with every you do a drawing with every book and like a bolt of lightning right it struck me yes yes of course and suddenly people didn't care whether they'd ever heard of the book whether they knew who i was the fact that i could do this sort of magic trick for them in the front cover uh suddenly i had a lineup and it was an amazing revelation for me that maybe the book and the experience of getting a book are two separate things that people are willing to put their hard-earned money down on I'm glad you brought that up because I think part of the the draw of a convention from the attendees' point of view, and I, I, having only been to a handful as an attendee, I quickly moved over to the organizer side of it uh, because I loved it so much. But uh, it is about the experience. It's about sharing the experiences with other people, about celebrating our fandoms, whatever it is, be it fandoms of your characters or your characters or all the characters that we grew up with. But the experience should be something interesting and different that you can go home and talk to other people about or even meet up with your friends later on at the convention and say, guess what I just did? I had uh, GMB Chumichek draw a sketch for me in the book. Look at this. And then you get that kind of experience for it. So that is a great way to come at it. Yeah. Give people an interesting, unique experience that they're not going to get anywhere else. But it was not a calculated move on my part to do that. Well, many, many of these things are not. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? But when it worked, I took note of it. And, you know, how it worked, you know, it wasn't, it had less to do with the fact that like, oh, hey, I sold a bunch of books and more to do with that. I had this experience that I really enjoyed, you know, people I didn't know who didn't know me. We had a, we had a few minutes together where I would ask them what kind of books they like, what kind of stuff they're into that would inform the drawing I was doing for them a little bit. And we would have this sort of, you know, mini interaction that was free of a lot of the social mores of the awkwardness of how you talk to an author at a table because I was doing something that they could look at and I had to look at it too. So it wasn't this really awkward face-to-face conversation. It was sort of you, me, and this drawing for five or 10 minutes. And then whether you liked it or not, you know, you at least had that honest interaction. Exactly. Attention citizens. You were starting out at shows and you had your portfolio and you had your finally you had your stand up and what was the leap for you to say i need i want or need to change what i'm doing um there was when i started doing shows um i was experimenting with style a lot i didn't really know i was using photoshop i was experimenting a little in in vector and illustrator and stuff like that and i was just kind of trying all kinds of different things i was trying all kinds of different sizes I had postcards to 11 by 17s. I had originals. I just kind of had everything splayed out on the table. Um, there was a moment that my second my second year doing conventions, I'd kind of started to evolve this shattered vector style. And I had this silhouette piece of Cloud and Sephiroth from Final Fantasy VII with 
Cloud getting stabbed by Sephiroth, mm-hmm. this part that happens in the, the game. The internet famous piece. Yeah. yeah. Uh, actually, this was before that. This okay. is prior to that. <gasps> this was like the first iteration. And I printed 20 out, and I sold 20 on like this, the first day of the show. And nothing like that had ever happened. Like I'd had people interested in my work, but I'd never had so many people interested in one particular piece because of the style and like the, the subject matter. I'd never had like a, a piece that was on fire. Right. And that I like, I tried to, I tried to get a volunteer to watch my table. So on Sunday I could run to Staples and print more. Um, Staples was closed and like I ran and, back and also and Staples was Staples and Staples <laughs> um, but it was that whole like I had I had created a piece that that everybody wanted right and so from there it was kind of always like chasing that next piece that's going to like light the room on fire that everybody's going to want and every once in a while about two or three pieces a year out of nowhere will be what everybody wants. And I never know what they're going to be until mm-hmm. I get them to the, show to the show and expose them to the crowd. But that happens at the show. That happens you at the show. Know, you don't know. You have a new piece. You're, you're putting it out for everyone to see. No idea. I, I think I have an idea of what the next one might be. <laughs> I, just, I don't know. I have but, no, no idea. Based on what you just posted on Instagram, <laughs> I think that might be it. But, but um, I... Um, that's part of the word of mouth that happens at the show, right? So somebody comes, you're, you know, you kind of split up, you walk around the floor, you go, when someone picks up your Sephiroth piece and brings it back to their friend, look what I picked up. This is awesome. Look at this, this awesome piece of art. And they're like, oh, I want one too. So they come back and they get one from you. And the word of mouth spreads through the con like that, right? Is that yeah. an accurate statement? Would you well, say? Let's, let's talk about bags for a second. Yeah. Okay. Bags, uh, begging artists now, it's expected of them to have bags for when you buy their artwork you bag it up and you give it to them wait let's that ask, wasn't let's a ask thing. dan a question because oh. he's not a keener let me ask him a question if you are selling your art do you think that you should hand your art to a customer in a an opaque bag or b a clear bag oh, clear of course <laughs> <laughs> right right is this uh, an issue people it, don't want you using clear bags no people don't realize the real power of a clear bag oh okay right yeah because what you're sure. talking about require like when you said you like someone comes over to their friend and says oh this piece is great instead what happens is someone in a clear bag walks through the show and if other people see it it and like it then they'll ask that person it is now a walking advertisement for you yeah that's great that's great Um, and what's interesting about it is you know lots of people use clear bags like this is not we are not innovators in this uh, (laughs) arena (laughs) at all um but i love it too like i ask people where did you get that yeah how did it come from and they all directed like it works both ways like i find it to be a really great way in a crowded show to see what you're missing is to sit down for two seconds and just watch the crowd go by and see what they're carrying and see what they have and you immediately like oh wow i didn't even know you know, that's that, also how that I, Paul Pope I, was here. That's how I keep an eye on how my friends are doing. If I see a lot of Greg stuff walking by, I'm like, oh, Greg's having a great show. Oh, yeah, yeah. If I see that's a lot good. of Quirkylicious stuff working by, I'm like, Drake is killing it. Like, I'm seeing nothing but his stuff yeah. walk by. If I see a lot of Justin stuff go by, I know he's buying dinner. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think that's that kind of speaks to It's a great thing that happens at conventions. But what you just said, Greg, uh, speaks to kind of one of the issues facing conventions. And one of the ones we're trying to uh, answer with FanQuest is that communication at a con is not great oh, as far yeah. as what 
what's going on at any given time. Like I, I said earlier, programming has become a huge thing for me. I love it so much. When I worked with, uh, I, was, I worked with C4, Central Canada Comic Con for a year, and what I did with them, I did a bunch of different stuff, but what, part of what I did at the shows was manage the programming. And I, I uh, so I, I plan out, um, I did it when they didn't even ask me to. There was a smaller show, it was the uh, Pop Culture um, Expo. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I just went, I didn't even think about it. I went ahead and planned out uh, programming and like oh i guess we should get a stage for you then because we weren't planning on doing any right so i said okay great so so because to you programming is an internal is an essential component it's a, it's a part of the, the event yeah so and for listeners who don't know what we mean by programming this is where an author an artist a uh, you know a guest celebrity, a celebrity guest. could yeah. be away anyone. from the dealer's room in a separate hall that's where right q a yeah has a q a a panel some way for them to interact to an audience a captive audience if yeah, you will yeah um a for a half an hour to an hour and they get some insight that they wouldn't get any other way and um i mean for for the artist or whoever it is giving, giving the panel hopefully it drums up some business for them if they're like you guys and they're in artist alley and they've got pieces um for sale then somebody in that audience will have come in but based on maybe the topic or something that that you're talking about and then found out about you, discovered you, and then they'll go and visit you at your table later. Um, it is often, I've, I've kind of discovered that it is the main, when it comes to the celebrity guests, it's it's a, one of the main drivers to get people to come up and get autographs from them. Absolutely. Because they yeah. always plug that at the end. They say, okay, come, I'll be upstairs for the next couple of hours. Come yeah. visit me at my table. And I know that for a lot of people, oh, hey. Hey, uh, we have a special guest just on, arriving on. on the podcast. Science. Oh, dear listeners, we have a sudden surprise arrival at the studio because the door is usually open and wayward authors can wander in at any time. Oh, hi. That is <laughs> Sam Pico, who has wandered in off the street cold first, and alone. First repeat guest. Right, first repeat guest. Tell us about yourself. Hi, I'm Sam. I'm a fantasy author, and I do pretty much anything you can imagine that has to do with books. Actually, I'm going to go pay for parking, so Sam's going to take over <laughs> my mic. This is amazing. For okay. the next 10 Sam's minutes. Good, good, good. Perfect. All right, so, Sam, we, what we've been talking about is mm. what makes a good convention. Right. And we, had, we started off by asking people what were their early convention experiences and how that maybe colored what choices they made when they started to exhibit at shows. Right. So tell us about an early convention experience as an attendee. Uh, as an attendee, wow. Um, well, I first started attending conventions as a fan of anime. So the first ever convention experience I had was Icon back in the day um, in Winnipeg when it was at the University of Manitoba. So I had absolutely no concept of what a convention was. I was just a rabid 12, 13-year-old, just like I want to consume all this media. Um, but was what was really great about Icon is that um, I wasn't just there to hang out in the dealer's room, which is what I usually think that people are going to cons now for right. nowadays. Um, they There was a lot of content that they had going on that... Um, Actually, was was either programming or it was like we were just talking about. Yeah, could not have segued yeah. more beautifully into what. Um, yeah, and they also were showing a bunch of anime. Like, so they had all these. They had rented out all these classrooms with projectors, and they were just showing like Miyazaki. They were showing like Akira. They were showing all this stuff that I had no exposure to at all because the internet was like brand new. Um, and you know, we were trying to find anime websites by guessing addresses and URL <laughs> things. So, you know, the access to that stuff was limited. So it was really great. That was how I discovered Miyazaki and Studio Ghibli and all these other things. So wait, so. hold on. I need to ask you, the first Studio Ghibli movie that you saw was at was a that, show? Was at uh, Icon, yeah. It oh. was, um, 
it must have been Princess Mononoke because, and it was the tail end of it, so I had only seen half of it, and then I went to Jumbo Video and I rented uh, it. Whoa. Shout out to Jumbo Video. Shout out yeah. to Matt. Memory yeah. Lane. Oh, um, That's the ancient times. <laughs> but but it was because of an experience like that that I was exposed to things that I otherwise wouldn't have been. Right. Um, in a community that was very welcoming and um, were interested in just kind of conveying stuff not even for personal gain or anything it was just that everyone enjoyed something and they we love it. it do you want to love it too kind yeah. of like that right yeah I, oh that's amazing i love the programming uh aspect we were just talking about how it's for 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 me it's a, it's another aspect of the con that people really enjoy and you, obviously that's that's what got you into it but um like there's some people who do come for the dealer's room to come to see the artists and, and the, the merchandise but i think there's an equal amount of people hopefully that come for the programming I think Maybe I'm wrong. You guys have more experience with this. Yeah, yeah. I find I mean, that it, it has to be. Good. It should be good programming. That's the that's the key. Yeah, and um, yeah, and you can't. There there are some panels because I'm I'm one of those people nowadays who I will go to a con exclusively just to um, be on programming. Right. Um, I'm only just starting to go as a vendor because I haven't really had enough product until now. Um, and so there are there are some panels that I'm on that are packed constantly. And there Sam Pico is the editor of some 200 novels and the author and of novels, yeah, and the author of uh, The Lake in the Library and Sign of the Fox, which are young adult fantasy. Available now. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, but this podcast brought to you by. Yeah, and uh, but that programming that's super packed is usually the um, the things that people in the audience are interested in developing themselves on it's usually panels that and again i attend a lot of writing conferences and publishing oh, this conferences. is great i wanted to talk about that so um when words collide right right i they're really a huge program they're great for programming yeah. yeah lots and what i find the people who attend it are people who want to make things yeah they want to make genre and so they're there to figure out the ingredients that go into good genre. Yeah, because it's um, publishing itself can be kind of a mire. It's like, where do you start? I mean, the way I started was going down to McNally and buying a Publishing for Idiots book because, again, I had no friggin' clue what I was right. doing. Um, so a lot of the packed panels that I'm on are like, how do I submit a, a query letter? Right. How do I even get to the point where a publisher's talking to me? Um, how do I land an agent? How do I craft my pitch so that it's inviting? Um, this is absent kind of from stuff. comic book programming, I find. Okay. Comic book shows, I don't like see a lot to, of this. Like how to enter into the industry yeah, I don't in a see traditional a lot of way. People um, talk about, you know, they'd rather, go, or they'd rather put in the programming um, five Green Lantern artists talking about drawing Green Lantern uh, to a room of, you know, 100 people, when if they asked people, how'd you get started drawing comics, you'd probably have 1,000 people okay. in that room. Right, okay. and know? especially a lot of these guests that are frontlining a lot of these events, they have been in it for almost 20 plus years, Sorry. the majority of the time, and it has changed so drastically, mm -hmm. especially in comics, and yeah, it's very mystifying, and a lot of people are just doing it themselves now, because yeah. they're just like, yeah, it's just too aggravating to even get into the industry, so might as well just just not wait and just start now yeah. um, and that but then there that brings up more questions how do you start as a comic artist by just putting your stuff out there how do you build a platform how do you utilize conventions to the best of your ability um, to uh, further a brand that's like brand new so uh, Sam has wandered back uh, up into the seventh floor here at our secret headquarters <laughs> she doesn't know we're gonna put a microphone in her hand um, <laughs> this is marvelous um, let me ask you a question mm -hmm. without any without any preparation right uh what three things do you think go into making a really good convention experience mm. not to the vendor or the exhibitor but to the attendee to the attendee um first and foremost probably listening to the people who are going to be interested in going in the first place and kind of being like okay well what is it that they want to see first and foremost it's probably one um 
which leads into like a good communication with your attendees and not giving them the wrong information on the uh, day of the event. Well, <laughs> I, I sent some <laughs> subtext. <laughs> no, 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 but I, I was just saying this over the course of the whole event because I was just saying to Greg yeah. that that's a major problem at every, almost every convention I've been to is that unless like you, you, there's no real way to know what's going on unless you're really like mm -hmm. tied in and most people are not yeah. like plugged into the social media or any of everything. They need to know you know, kind of at a glance, what's going on where so they can make a decision as far as what they want to do because yeah. there's so much going on. And those yeah. program guides are usually yeah. an afterthought, yeah. not created by someone no. who knows how to do an infographic. And what I also find is that uh, it's almost like as the convention is happening, like that weekend, all of a sudden the convention, it, the organizers have blacked out communication because mm -hmm. they're so busy running yes, the show. That's right. So it's like you need to have like a ground crew. Like a like that's when that's another thing that comes in. It's like really good volunteers yes. and really good um, just people who are kind of managing the actual event, where you can just kind of turn to them and they'll know everything, and know where things are, and know what's happening um, as an attendee. Because you're just walking into this. Sometimes it's enormous and it's really overwhelming, and you maybe you don't have any idea there's programming or you don't yeah. have there's a costume contest or that there's going to be a social after. You have no idea any of this stuff is happening. Um, so you're relying on the people with the that have the lanyards that say volunteer or organizer or something. I like that. always make the mistake of putting, I put everything on the website, but I always make the mistake of assuming that everybody goes to the website. Yeah, no. No one, no. No. No one goes to the no website. No one goes to the website. <laughs> well, there's certain, you know, no one, yeah, people don't go to the website. They'll go to the website if they're angry later. Yes, that's yeah. right. That's right. Or they're your social media, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, they usually just show up. So if you are going to. Um, well, sorry, we didn't get the third thing from oh, you. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm just trying to. Look you the third snuck thing. away. <laughs> I didn't sneak away. You no, I interrupted. You, you said me away. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did. It was my fault. Um, so you said. Um, so I, um, I said. Uh, listen to the people. Listen to your attendees and what they like, especially if you're like a long-running show and you've had a show last year, and they're like, maybe you should change it this year. Yep. Take those things into account. Communicating with them throughout the as the show is going on, um, and just basically making sure that these spaces always stay inclusive. Um, because I find that Ooh. with, with you know, this is a topic that comes up constantly like in, in geek culture and with any subculture. There's always going to be some um, class or group of people in that group who are like, we are the ones who know the most and we are going to hold the keys to the kingdom. And yeah. a lot of these things, there, there are, should be no keys. It should be open to all. Um, so just always kind of being aware that there are probably people with um, either disabilities or with social anxieties um, that are, you know, they are still making the effort to come out and just making sure that those spaces stay safe for them and they don't have attention tromping in and being like, your cosplay sucks and you're an idiot and I know more about Green Lantern than you do, so <laughs> get the F out. Um, yeah, and booting those people no, <laughs> or sure. making them feel, you know, that they aren't, they don't, they don't hold the megaphone. They shouldn't hold the megaphone. Right. Cool. So, yeah. Okay. Well. Um, I, I, what I like to say is uh, I, those are all excellent ideas. I, I think of when you ask that question, I think in terms of more specific, the things that bring me to a convention from an attendee's point of view is, are the, the programming, the, I think probably the, the vendors come last on that list. Mm -hmm. The people, other people who attend the con yeah. is a huge <laughs> part of it. That to me is the, uh, I probably love the cosplayers. best. Well, cosplayers are great, but but um, the best people are just everybody else who comes. And I love that you can just go, you know, wander around, stop at a table, and then jump into a conversation about Star Wars or, or something else, and everyone's on board. You can't really have those conversations in everyday life, although sometimes with Star Wars, it's becoming more and more common. But, um, but yeah, you don't, like... 
you just kind of can't geek out with everybody the way you can at a convention. That's right. When the officer taps on my window and asks for my license and registration, I can't be like, man, did you see the new episode of Orville? (laughs) (laughs) But you never know. He might say, yeah. Yeah. It was awesome. Super Pope. We just had an event. Yes, we just did. had a small you guys event. Just put on an event. Well, I don't know. Justin's asking, "How did we do?" He doesn't oh, have a microphone. Me? Yeah, how did we do? Oh, now you're on the spot. Um, well, I'll just get get it out of the way. You did really great. It was a really great event. Um, and what was this is something that you have talked about a lot is and when you talk about artist alleys and stuff, you just show up as if you've been doing it for years and just kind of maybe um, put that front on. And that was funny because you put on this big, beautiful craft market in your building. Um, Without meaning to. Yeah. It happened by accident, sort of. It thing. happened yeah. by accident. Yeah, and this in this space that's basically abandoned. Like it's like <laughs> the rest of the building has been all like renovated beautifully, and then th- this room is like that's it's right. like it's just gonna shave off of the building, that's just true. fall into the earth. The brickwork. <laughs> um, yeah, it's true. But it's true. so it's like this kind of like industrialized, semi-finished space, and then when you put all these artists in there, it was like magnificent, and um, people were coming in and being like, "Oh, so you've been putting this event on for like years." Like, how many years have you guys... And it was like, uh, yeah. Like, they just jumped right to years. Not even, oh, you've been putting this on for a couple months. It was just... It had already smacked of being a well-organized, well-oiled, established um, market, which is... Um, well, that's, that's... I'm a little nervous to hear you say that. I was Because um, now we have to live that's up That's from that. attendees. Yeah, from attendees. And from the people who well, were... Well, vendors. Give us the vendors. People who were there as vendors, they, yeah, it was also extremely smooth. <laughs> It was uh, actually kind of frighteningly so how smooth it was. We were all just set up early and just kind of mystified and being like, oh, we're here. And <laughs> wow, well, how did this happen? <laughs> well, and, and what yeah. we were doing, we weren't setting out to set up a show. There was this big empty space and we had access to it. And the building manager said that we could rent it at a day rate, which to us was exciting. And we had done a event uh, in Winnipeg. We have a thing called First Fridays. So down in the Exchange District, um, Studios and galleries open their doors for uh, regular walk-in traffic, and it's become it's a, a destination. Fun night. There's dozens and dozens of studios and galleries and shops. They all do something special for First Friday, so you really make a whole evening of it. So we had done one at our space, at our own space, and then we thought, well, that was so great, but we can't just do our space again. What could we do that is a little different for people who are attending? So there's not no, no Justin Gregg fatigue. Yeah. And then we said, well, let's see if any of the other talented folks that we know want to come and exhibit. And then before we knew it, we had 30 people, 40 people who wanted to do it. And we just had to sort of first come, first serve. And the only vetting that we did uh, was that if, um, uh, like, the first two jewelry people that said they were interested, right? I didn't let other jewelry people come in after that. The first, you know, novelist that wanted or was interested, we didn't let any more in after that. You know, that sort of thing. We just, (laughs) because it was a small space and we only had room for 15, 17 little vendors and if if it's all the same thing then the person who attends just feels like oh this is just a book fair but if they come and they could get um you know a hand-drawn uh or a a hand-painted piece of art they could get um, a 3d printed Mm -hmm. steel pendant they could Mm -hmm. get a handmade bone necklace they could get a book or a graphic novel or a print or a tiny koi pond in a in a seashell or a tiny koi pond in a seashell which was pretty amazing (laughs) uh then people would come and and feel that the experience even if it wasn't something they bought Mm -hmm. maybe they're only there to buy a comic maybe only there to buy art they would find something new i just want to jump in here i i think i was going to ask you guys is this like you guys go to shows all the time you sell your stuff there 
is this as much of a marketing tool for you for people who want to buy stuff later? Like, do you find people come to you after the fact mm -hmm. and say, I couldn't afford to get that print when I saw you last week, but now I have this payday and I have some extra cash. I'd like to buy that from you now. I sold three printed canvases uh, at our market on Friday to people who had come to our first Friday event the previous month and had regretted not purchasing it okay. then. So this Watched is on social media to see when we would appear next, and then we're really excited that mm -hmm. <gasps> it was open again, and they came rushing back. Okay, there you yeah. go. Yeah, I was, I was just because right. that's a sense I got again with FanQuest. Uh, just kind of the I realized how many of these artists and vendors were like gaining future sales by just being in the in the space and having people come in and just discover them in the in the marketplace kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah. and um, for me, for the product that I sell, it's also available in other places. So a lot of like me going to these, and as a vendor now, and again, it's something that I'm starting to do on my own, um, is just so that I can meet people and talk to people um, about the stuff that I do. And if they don't have the money at the time, I'll just be like, well, you can buy it on Amazon, you can buy it in your local indie, mm -hmm. you can, um, yeah, you can go elsewhere. A lot of people will come up to me like it, they did at C4, um, and they got my information and they ordered a, like class sets because right. I, did, they, I didn't have enough stock for them nice. to buy 40 books at the time. So <laughs> they were like, well, rather than deplete you, I'll just order them directly from your publisher sort of right. thing. So. so even looking at shows like that as an advertising cost, and we mm -hmm. often talk about that we do, as many shows locally as we can, yeah. not necessarily because like just to, to sell stuff and make money, but um, it's about those future sales and those future endeavors and opportunities. And we're really starting to see that more and more because we do every single event that we can and people see us more and more like it's, it's paying off. If you're wearing your business hat, yeah. right, you have to ask yourself, what would it cost you to get a targeted ad mm -hmm. to a few thousand people? that fit exactly into your demographic, Yeah. right? So if you're picking your shows correctly, even if you sold no things, but you had a great display, then yeah. you have purchased a targeted ad to those people and that has a long future mm -hmm. for you. For sure. So we're passing the mic back and forth. I would say a more effective targeted ad than something you would buy on Facebook for the same amount of money. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm still on the fence about Facebook and social media advertising. I think it has its place, but you can tune in to Business BFS podcast. There you all go. about that. There you can go. We, Sam? Uh, yeah, you can. <laughs> I, um, but I think that the in-person experience is much more uh, relevant and um, meaningful for somebody, even if they just pass by your table and they don't talk to you and they just see, oh, wow, look at all this stuff. That makes more of an impression than the little box on the side of the, the web page. Mm -hmm to me so yeah we gotta wrap things up okay gonna, well thank sorry, you for being to the, uh, sudden to the hour special markers. guest um this has been super pulp science so we were talking about what goes into making um genre what goes into making conventions and whether or not we should replace justin with sam pico as our regular co-host i'll start singing i promise <laughs> join the fight make comics <laughs>